Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Well, good evening. Welcome to episode 000028 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to eight this evening. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners from where I am broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. 415. That's the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died in police custody since 1991. 1991 was the year that the Royal Commission handed down its report into Aboriginal deaths in custody. So that 415 was on top of the 99 that died in the 10 years preceding the Royal Commission and instigated its establishment in the first place. People have died in jail cells, paddy wagons, as they are being arrested on the way to hospital, all during and after interactions with law enforcement in its various guises across the country. And we were reminded of that again uh, in, in Melbourne over the last couple of days. And it's been pretty tough for a lot of mob around the place. But, of course, the family of Yorta Yorta woman, Auntie Tanya Day, who died in police custody, have made a plea to Victoria's Coroner's Court for individual police officers to be held accountable for her death. Now, that will be up for the coroner to decide, of course. But you see, this is the thing. Not one police officer has been accountable, had been held accountable for the death of any Aboriginal person in their custody ever. Before the Royal Commission and after the Royal Commission. And of course, a lot of you would have heard, read stories, social media posts, because it certainly hasn't been covered much in the mainstream media, of a young Woolpuri man who was shot by police in the remote town of Yundamu, which is located about 266 kilometres northwest of Alice Springs. Now, I was going to speak to... Uh, Rachel Hocking from uh, NITV and uh, still here and she's a fantastic journalist and she's been covering the story very, very closely and what she doesn't know about the story isn't worth knowing at this stage. But uh, she's unable to make it, unfortunately. These things have an impact on, on all of us and so um, I hope she continues on with her great and, uh, and, and telling work because it's really important that uh, we get these stories out and it's one thing that the community up there is actually is asking for. The police, the the justice system have a whole range of, I guess, armoury at the disposal when it comes to defending themselves, to investigating themselves, as pretty much every police force in this country has its own responsibility of doing. We've got cops, you know, investigating cops left, right and centre. But all we have in the Aboriginal community is each other. 
And so with that in mind, we will be um, pursuing this as a way to make sure that the investigation is transparent, that people have the opportunity to see what happened. The police up there have actually said that there is video footage of the incident. So hopefully, with the permission of the family, we'll get to properly understand what actually happened up there on a Saturday night at around about 7.15pm. So that's some pretty heavy news to start off with, but I do have a guest coming online later in the show, and of course it is the um, inimitable Tara Tara June Winch. She's um, a fantastic writer, she's a Wiradjuri author, and she'll be on the line from her home in France. At the start of uh, this year, she um, undertook to read books only written by Indigenous authors, and she's been reflecting on that in a series of pieces for the Griffith Review that are available online at the moment. So that should be an illuminating and uplifting conversation in light of the trauma that is being dished up about the place at the moment. As always, the best way to get in contact with me is via Twitter. My handle is at Mr. DT James. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. In 2019, to celebrate the International Year of Indigenous Languages, critically acclaimed Wiradjuri writer Tara June Winch set herself the goal to read only books by Indigenous authors. Over eight weeks, Tara is sharing her reading journey and reviewing key works, historical and contemporary, in language and in English, in partnership with the Griffith Review. The first two instalments of this eight-part series are available online now, with a new contribution to be published every Thursday for the next six weeks. And Tara is on the line now from her home in France to tell us all about it. Tara, welcome back to Triple R. Thanks for having me back, sort of. (laughs) Yeah, sort of. It was a genius idea to set yourself this task in the year of Indigenous languages. Um, what was what was the genesis of the idea? Well, I knew that it was coming up to the UN year of um, International Indigenous Languages um, in the sort of run up to knowing my book was coming out next year. So this was last year, yeah. and I just thought I just thought it was incredible that. Um, it was incredibly, I don't know, I don't know if serendipitous is the word, but um, it was it was an incredible coincidence that my book was coming out this year and I wanted to pay homage to, um, to our languages and to our storytellers. And so I had that idea, um, yeah, last year and I just, knowing that I don't have very much of a social media following, um, I knew that if I did it by myself on my own platform, which doesn't exist, then I wouldn't get the readership. And so I approached Griffith Review about sort of hosting hosting these um, these essays and, 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 yeah, getting that readership that, it, that these writers and storytellers really deserve. So two essays are already out online at the moment. You, you just Google it, just go to Griffith, to the Griffith Review website. The first one um, is entitled Decolonising the Shelf, and that's basically where you, you set up the whole premise 
around the idea and, and what's to come in the following um, eight weeks. Um, in that, you touch upon how before colonisation there was 600 languages spoken around or across what is now known as Australia, and that basically now that you know only 60 remain. But there is um, a lot of work going into the reclamation of, of a lot of those languages. Um, uh, is there enough being done to, to get those languages, bring those languages back into life, you think? Um, look, on a community level and in, commu- in, in communities and schools where Indigenous people are heading these programs, um, I think there's huge amounts of things being done. I went to Palima's um, Indigenous Languages and Technology Conference in Darwin a few months ago where community leaders from all over Australia were presenting their um, literacy and language reclamation projects from the Tiwi Islands all the way to the remotest part of WA and to, to cities and those Melbourne Community Centre um, community um, leaders as well. And there's so much being done, not just in um, not just in spoken language uh, and written language recording and teaching and but also in sign language from the APY land, mm. in um, sort of sort of um, uh, tactile um, tactile language uh, transfer, where um, these boards are being created with buttons in language for use in schools, in, in with police um, departments, in hospitals, for for those. Um, those in the community who don't speak English, who, who's, mm. where English is, or English is very, um, very minimal, and is there maybe fifth or sixth language, and so using these textile boards with buttons to 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 communicate and to to translate all these important um, this important information and to continue culture and to, to keep these languages intact and not make um, community members feel excluded from the society's fabric because English isn't their first language and why should it have to be, you know? Yeah, exactly. Before, you know, it's been written out of history largely as, of course, a lot of our history has been done post-colonisation, but, you know, it was widely, you know, accepted and acknowledged that Aboriginal people were some of the most multilingual people on the face of face of the planet. Um when yeah. I was um, up in Byron at the Writers' Festival, I was very fortunate enough to be on a, on a panel on you, and you with you, and you spoke yeah. about um, you know the beauty and, and and the genius of some of our languages. Um, are you able to talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, I can only speak on the language that I learnt in order to write my novel that mm-hmm. came out this year. The yield. Um, Available yeah. in all good bookstores. That was such a shameful plug. No, no. I was really mean to. I was going to plug it at the end anyway. Might as well do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my father didn't grow up with, that, with language. He's Radtree. And um, he, his mother didn't grow up with it either. She was, in, she was a domestic at 14. Um, and my father was in a boys' home when he was three. So... What I really wanted to do is write a, a gift to him and l- look at the language and sort of incorporate the language as if it was um, completely part of the story. So I wrote the book in 
in the sort of form of a, a loose dictionary to tell the story. Um, and each of the entries kind of um, pushes the narrative along, hopefully. But during that process, I had to learn the language or very minimally now. I'm not completely conversational at all. But I referred back to the work of um, Dr. Uncle Stan Grant Sr. Uh, and the linguist John Rudder, who'd both reclaimed the language from, you know, a few, not a few, I should say about 100 words that were um, spoken, had reclaimed it, had, had consulted with uh, historical documents and with elders and to build the language back up to it's massive. There's thousands of words in that in that dictionary now and it's a one of the most incredible cultural treasures and, and national treasures that exist, the dictionaries that um Uncle Stair Grant Senior and the linguist John Rudder that he works with have put together. And so um in my process of going through their dictionaries, I got to learn some incredible words that, you know, um it wasn't just about being a balm on the tongue and for my soul and reconnecting me back to culture via this, you know, hugely broken link. Mm. And um, and like traversing history by looking at this language and I can't explain the feeling, what it's like to learn some of the language of where you're living or where your family's from. Well, it must, must be like just redis- rediscovering a part of yourself for the for the first time in a way. Absolutely. It brings so much cultural... It brings so much cultural pride and, you know, psychological healing. Yeah. And, you know, it's being it's being used in rehabilitation programs um, for drug and alcohol and for for trauma for for decades. Actually, is is about connecting back to country, connecting back to community. We have the link up program, and another third element of that um, rehabilitation is connecting back to to language to culture. To, to have those mother tongue words actually return to the tongue. So that was the process for me, and there was these beautiful, you know, words that will always stay with me the rest of my life and um, hopefully stay with other Wiradjuri readers that didn't know them, like Yinyamara, um, which means, um, sort of, it means gentleness and respect and sort of, Evenness. It's, it's about having like a two-way respect. It's not mm. hierarchical. It's it's this beautiful. Um, yeah, it encompasses kindness and gentleness and respect. I don't know. It, it, there's nothing respect in English doesn't cut the mustard. You know, <laughs> this this is like real respect. This is like respect for. <laughs> Respect that doesn't ask for it. Respect that's on the same playing field. Respect that encompasses family and 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 land and country and sort of traverses time. I just think it's the most incredible word. And there's other ones on the other spectrum, that, like nyarn, um, which means weakness and hunger mm. and depression at once. I remember you. I remember I you mentioning that one up in Byron and. Yeah. Um, Thinking, yeah, that's that's beautiful because you know who, who that is hungry is happy. You know, <laughs> um, right. just a just a genius way to describe uh, a human emotion that doesn't re- that we don't really have a word for in English. Yeah, 
completely. And depression, it's a, it, sadness or grief or whatever, however, um, whatever word we want to say, it has so much to do with that hunger and never being sated, you know, and it, not just physically um, with food and nourishment, but hungry, that emptiness of, of missing something that you can't find, you know? Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's, you know, it's unfathomable the the amount of work that has gone into to reclaim that language of of the Wiradjuri. And about the same time, it's also heartbreaking to think of how many other wonderful languages that we've we've lost, never to to return. And it's something that you know is is particularly plague worthy um, in terms of colonisation down here in the southeast of of, of Australia, where you know, most of the languages in, in what is now known as, as Victoria, you know, have basically been totally and utterly um, obliterated. And all that's left is the, the words or the name places, you know, printed on yeah. rusty signs as you went to the towns. You know, they took the, they took the places and then they took the names. Yeah, I remember you talking about it in Byron. It's, it's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah. But there, there is some work being done. And, I mean... Victoria has um, perhaps this, um, you know, had had like has indigenous languages that have suffered so much, but it has some of the most progressive programs in Australia as well. Yeah. Like so, I feel like the state of, on not the state, but on a community level, are quite proactive in <clears throat> in individual schools. But there needs to be, um, and we talked about this in Byron. There needs to be. You know, there's um, national respect for for languages, and it needs to be incorporated into school level. Do you remember us talking about incorporating it into, you know, um, preschool level into yeah, yep. early learning programs, and and how it basically creates that viable economy where your the needs there then to create trainers and and teachers, and then. Need to go back to the community to create more trainers and teachers, and you continue in culture at the same time. Um, this makes complete sense to me to have our Indigenous languages in preschool, and I just imagine the psyche of Australian kids nationwide learning the the most sort of local language to to where they physically grow up. And it's twenty years, yeah. And, and, and it's the time to do it too. You know, those, as we all know, those first five years of uh, learning and life are, are, are where language is picked up and, and obtained and it's actually, you know, the, the best time. You know, we, we have courses now that are sort of at university and the tertiary level that, you know, yeah. go some way to that. Yeah. But if you really want to enrich and ingrain these languages in, in the community, then that, that preschool level is, is really the way to go about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's the time when you can attain... Languages so um, so easy and so naturally, but it's also the time where you can attain bigotry and hatred so easily and naturally as well, and that'll last a lifetime. So it's just really the time where um, children really need to be introduced to Indigenous subjects, Indigenous language, um, cultural understanding, and and engage with the community more. Because yes, there are availabilities at tertiary level. Um, uh, higher learning levels, but there's a real gap in in, in learning in early learning and in on the primary level. 
and a lot of prejudices and, and um, bigotry can be picked up, you know, in between, you know, the 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 the, the preschool and, and, and the tertiary, you know, parts of our education system. Um, you're listening to Triple R. This is the mission. My name is Daniel. I am speaking with Wiradjuri author Tara June Winch from her home in France. Um, you have um, released a second essay as part of that uh, Griffith Review series as well, and that one is entitled The Books We Carry on Our Backs, 1796 to 1996. And in that particular piece, you talk about the oral histories, the oral storytelling histories and traditions that we have as um, as Aboriginal people. What was it like to try and, and dive down into into that? It was um, pretty broad. That was quite tricky. And then to sort of have the permission to write about it. So actually I'm just sort of focusing. There'll be four up by tomorrow. There's yep. three up there at the moment. But um, I'm focusing in those that, that second essay had to cover 200 years and because there wasn't a huge amount written in the first 200 years because we weren't allowed to write books. Um, and I'm just focusing on, on written publications and some political writing. But, I mean, it was, it was, it was fascinating. I mean, you can see where our writing really comes from and looking at Ujuru Nunakul's poetry, um, the first published Aboriginal woman who published her debut collection in 1964. I mean, it, in, I, her poetry informs all our writing today, mm. all our political writing today. It's there. You can you can um, you can read between the lines. So that residue is there. So it's incredible to go back and just and you know I, as I said in the first I say um, this I was sort of wanted to answer that woman in the in the audience at Canberra Writers Festival when she said, "Why am I only hearing about?" Uh, Aboriginal writers now, why are they why are they writing now? And I, you know, what's changed? Why don't I do her funny voice? <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't. She didn't say it so whiny. Gee, <laughs> she sounded like a real bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but she was sort of. Um, she was just. She was like on the informed end of the ill-informed, which is pretty much all of our society. So I was, you know, I just said. And it just flashed to me, like, all our history of writing. And I was like, it's not it's not us that's changed. It's you that's changed, you know. It's the audience that's changed. You know, you've not, you're just opening your eyes to this stuff, but we've always been writing. And it's so hard to fill in how much we've written in, you know, the last 200-odd years. Like, we've written – we have written so much, um, so, so many important works – just incredible novels, uh, the most um, groundbreaking plays and and scripts and, and our work in the, our work poetry. in theatre alone has been has been amazing. Um, theatre has been completely incredible. Yeah, yeah. There's um, yeah. There's a wonderful poet, um, Miss Belair. Actually, she was a broadcaster in Melbourne at your radio station. Really, I think it, it was. 3CR, is that you? No, we're 3RRR, but 3CR is cool as well. Oh. 
Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, I knew we were trying to We're all one big happy family down here, the community radio <laughs> sector. Don't worry about it. Um, um, sorry. She was, um, yeah, had a Koori show there. For, oh, she had a uh, radio um, show there for years called Not Another Koori Show in the, up until the 90s, over a decade. And she was one of the founding ma- members of um, uh, Ilbajera Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Theatre Co-op. Yeah, well, you know that's now, and that of course now is a is a Melbourne institution yeah. and something that you know every Melbourneian should be should be proud of. And the the some of the work that that uh, theatre company has produced over the years, you know, stolen is probably the the, the best known um, uh, piece of work is um, something to behold. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a difficult one before I let you go. Out of all the reading you've done over the course of this year, which piece of work has, I guess, resonated or or been most profound for you? Um, okay, that's hard. Yeah, sorry. Um, a lot of it's rereading. So, Alexis Wright, I've read before. A lot of it I've read before. Um, a lot of my contemporaries I've read before. So, um, I wouldn't say, uh, this is really hard. I'm not <laughs> Especially that time, this time in the morning for you. Oh, uh, yeah. And I won't say contemporary because they'll be like, what's she on about? That's it. <laughs> Why don't you say my name? Um, uh, I mean, honestly, if you want to be, um, like irrevocably changed. If you want to know what it is to like that, have, have that Dorothy McKellar kind of connection to country, but yep. but deeper and longer. Then you have to read Udura Nunakul's work. You have to go and read all her poetry. Um, yeah, it makes your blood run hot and cold. It is so the, the very she's our greatest poet. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll um try and get that one out on social media if people want to um. Uh, have a reference point as to where to find her work. Um, but Tara, thank you so much for your time. I know it's relatively early there in, um, in, in France, wherever you are in France. Where are you in France? In the countryside. We can't afford the city. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you know, I think the countryside's a probably pretty good um, option B. Um, the, yeah. the, the eight part special series is online um, in the 2019 Griffith Review 66, The Light Ascending, published the 5th of November, and it's online um, at the moment. There are four out at the moment. If you simply just Google the Griffith Review, you will find them. Um, thank you so much for, the t- for your time, Tara. The Yield, uh, your award-winning book from this year, is also available in all good bookstores. And if they don't have it, get them to order it in. But I've seen it recently in a book bookshop um, just in the inner city here. So make yourself yeah, available from with the that. Discount. From the discount <laughs> <shelf>. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> Tara, thank you so much Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Daniel. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> And you are listening to Triple R. Thank uh, Tara June Winch for a very illuminating interview. She's um, doing lots of really interesting work and uh, I've got a bit of an insight into what she's working on next. So um, stay tuned for that somewhere down the track. It's going to add value like the rest of her work does at all times. 
Um, just wanted to remind you before um, I play a couple of tunes and then hand over to the extremely talented gang at uh, Superfluity, is that that rally tomorrow in memory of Kumanjayi Walker will be at 5.30 at the front of the old GPO building in um, in the city. And if you go along there, not only are you showing solidarity with the Walpuri people up there in the Northern Territory, but you also learn what it is that they're actually demanding of police in terms of the investigation into his death. And there are a multitude of questions that need to be answered by the police and the best we can hope for at this stage is a full and open and transparent investigation that involves the community up there. And that, of course, is extremely important because, as you would expect, incidences incidences like this are something that totally and utterly diminishes and, in some cases, kills any trust between the local community and law enforcement. And so there's an opportunity for the Northern Territory Police to go some way towards rectifying that over the coming weeks and months as we find out exactly what the circumstances were of that 19-year-old boy's death. There was so much to be out and about and on the streets for at the moment in this time of uh, history, and let's hope that's never under threat by any one government or any one regime. Well, it's come to the end of the show. Um, If you want to listen back to any of these shows, you can listen to them on demand via the website, au. And I'm very pleased to say in the not-too-distant future that uh, all of these episodes will also be available via podcast, and you'll be able to search for for this and many other Triple R podcasts via your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.